Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program that brings you right inside NRG Stadium as we talk Texans. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Building, transforming into a rodeo facility and a football facility. It doubles. It triples sometimes. And the cookoff is this weekend. Combine next week as far as the Texans go. And one programming note off the bat, Johnny, is we were scheduled to have D'Amico Ryans tomorrow. But we're going to push that back into the Combine week because I guess we have not announced coaches yet. The team has not. And we'll wait till all that is done and just get D'Amico settled and go to the Combine and catch up with him there. And General Manager Nick Casario at the Combine as we will do shows from Tuesday through Friday from Indianapolis like we do every year. Anyway, how's it going, my friend? You doing well? Yeah, the I want to I want to meet D'Amico, so I <laughs> don't want to get all the way to the combine. But you, you know, keep missing each other because he's roaming the hallways, and it's so okay. are you. And we'll make that happen. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll meet up at some point. But, but that's okay. Yeah, we. Uh, I'm sure we can. I'm sure we can find something to talk about. We've been doing it for nine years. I think we'll figure it out. Ten years? This ten years? How many uh, years? This is our tenth year together. Yeah, tenth year. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll figure it out. You we'll started in 2014, around this time of year, I believe. So here we go. Yeah, it was after the combine. You got back from the combine, and uh, I started pestering you, and you were like, "All right, let's go." And oh, I, we I go. don't. I think I pestered you. Let's no. have a debate here. Who pestered <laughs> who? Actually, let's talk about this because I tweeted this out. Let's talk about where quarterbacks come from. All right. Oh, ooh. Where do ooh. quarterbacks come from, Daddy? And you have to answer the question. <laughs> well, son. I thought you'd never bring that up, but it's time for us to have the little talk here about where quarterbacks come from, because honestly, they can come from anywhere. Now, let's go here. Let's go here, because when I look at the playoffs, all right, as we know them, as we knew them and know them, let's look at the NFC. All right. The NFC teams that made the postseason. NFC. Okay. All right. Let's start there. So you tell me, Eagles. Second round. Jalen Hurts, yep, right. second round. Okay. 49ers. Yeah, their quarterbacks are all over the place. Second round or seventh round, maybe first round as well, but very little of that. Or trading multiple first-round picks for a third round that's only played a couple of games. Yeah, number that. three overall. Oh, a third rounder? No. For f- number three overall. Number three overall. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, So, but I'm going to put the 49ers squarely in the category of non-first-round quarterback. Okay. Right? That all got right. them here and got them there a couple gotcha. of years in a row. Yep. Vikings... Former fourth rounder, did mm-hmm. a free agent thing. Okay, Kirk Cousins. Tampa Bay, kind of unfair because it's mm-hmm. the greatest of all time, but he happened to be drafted in the sixth round. And that yep. skews everything when you're trying to argue that you can get a quarterback out of the first round, but here he is. So the other night I was, uh, Saturday night, I think, I spent a lot of time in the kitchen. I was just trying different recipes and different things and cooking. I've got a little small TV in there, and so I turned it on YouTube. And there was something that I watched in that I didn't have time to change it to a different show. And so the next, you know, YouTube finishes one and it says, coming up in five, four, three, two. And all of a sudden, it starts with Steve Sable talking with Tom Brady. And he says, do you know the six quarterbacks who were drafted ahead of you? And it's a documentary. It's been out for a long time called The Brady Six. Oh, yeah. And it's fascinating because... There are so many moments in there where you go, oh, man. And then you hear these quarterbacks that are taken ahead of Tom. You're like, <laughs> Giovanni yeah. Carmazzi? Hey, he had a howitzer, Johnny. I saw him at Hofstra. I did a game there, actually, with Giovanni Carmazzi, but yeah. I get your drift. So here's one thing that I – everybody – well, and I hear everybody. But I hear a lot of people say this. Well, if such and such coach is going to draft that player, then I trust that that player is good. Mm. 
I give to you Giovanni Carmazzi, drafted by arguably the greatest quarterbacks coach guru ever, Bill Walsh. Wow. What? Yes. When he was advising the 49ers? Bill Walsh was running the 49ers in 2000 when they had that draft, and Bill Walsh fell in love with Giovanni Carmazzi, yeah. and that was the guy they wanted. You know, so that whole, well, you know, if such and such coach comes to Houston, I'm going to trust that quarterback is good because that guy knows. Um, that's not always. A guy is good if guy's good, not because that coach sees that. A guy is good if he's good. Giovanni Carmazzi was not, and he didn't want to play football. That's so also that. the, the traits versus do you have the work ethic to right. improve? Right. And not only the work ethic, the are desire. you going to improve right. if you put the work in? All right, so I mentioned the Buccaneers. Continue with the NFC playoff team quarterbacks, where they came from. The Cowboys, your guy. Okay, Dak, fourth rounder. Wanted we, to be a Texan, first of all, but ended up with that other team. That other team. Mm-hmm. Giants, okay. First round quarterback, Daniel first round Jones. quarterback, yeah. And the Seattle Seahawks, Johnny. Geno Smith, mm-hmm. second rounder. I was high on Geno. I, I thought Geno, this is the Geno I thought we would see a lot earlier, but it, it, as it happens in, in a lot of places, you don't have success. You kind of bounce around. You don't get another opportunity. And then Seattle, this kind of freaky opportunity opens up, opens up where, well, they're going to trade Russell Wilson. So who's left? Well, they're going to bring over Drew Locke, and, well, you know, Geno's there, so I don't know. They're going to let those two fight it out. Really? They're not going to go sign a quarterback? They're not going to go trade for a quarterback? They're not going to draft a quarterback? No, they're going to go with one of those two guys, and it looks like it's Geno. He gets an opportunity. He fits in the offense. Offense fits him. He has a great year. I, I mean, sometimes it's rocket science. Sometimes it really isn't. Sometimes it's just dumb, pure luck. But I think the Seahawks kind of hit on all of it with with Geno. I think he's a he's a really interesting test case in how you go about acquiring a quarterback because you remember the offseason, the Broncos, when that trade was made and they give out grades for the draft or or they, the you know, the national the media, band. they loved what the Broncos did. Oh, they went out and got Russell Wilson. The, the Broncos yeah. are going to be all that a bag of chips. And I'm like, mm, I don't know, man. Kind of goes along with thought that the team that saw Russell Wilson every single day that needs a quarterback thought so little of him to trade him to a different team. So from that standpoint, uh, Geno Smith's a really interesting test case, I think, in, in how you go about acquiring a quarterback because that, I think, is... I think Geno Smith could only happen in a, in a certain few spots because I don't think it can happen where a coach's job is on the line. I don't think it could happen where you'd have a young coach. I think it'd have to be like an established guy, like Pete Carroll. Yeah. Like, I don't know that that would happen in a lot of different places. Like, I think a Geno Smith could happen in Tennessee with Mike Vrabel because he's got enough enough stroke that, yeah, you're always going to feel pressure as a head coach, but I don't think his job's on the line uh, because of what he's proven he can do as a head coach. That's the kind of place. There are only certain types of places that I think where that kind of situation could have evolved the way it did for Geno. Well, in the NFC, six of the seven teams that made the playoffs have non-first-round quarterbacks. That's correct. Non-first-round draft choice correct. quarterbacks. In many cases, third or lower, and there it is. So in the AFC, it oh was boy. all first-round guys. It was all first-round. All first-round. Two mm-hmm. number one overalls. You have also Herbert. You have Lamar Jackson late in the first round. You have Patrick Mahomes, number 10 overall. So those are all first-round guys. So a mixed bag, if you will. Out of the 14 playoff teams, mm-hmm. six of them non-first-round quarterbacks. The other eight drafted in the first round. We bring this up because... as are all go- six in the NFC? 
All six were in the NFC. Oh. We bring this up because, as D'Amico Ryan said, the Texans have only one quarterback on the roster. We know who that is, and they're looking for quarterbacks. So we'll right. see how they get them. And I'm not saying they should get them outside of the first round and they shouldn't go for a quarterback in the first round. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying there are many different ways to get this done. Uh, quickly, to the 2021 playoffs... All right, San Francisco, Dallas, all right, non-first round, non-first round. Yep. Arizona and the Rams. Now, the Rams, that's a free agent acquisition, but he was once upon a time number one overall. I always think that's different because Kirk Cousins uh, was traded for the value that you would trade uh, or signed to a contract that you would yeah. give a former number one overall pick. In fact, yeah. once upon a time, they traded for Sam Bradford, a number one overall pick. Uh, Philadelphia and Tampa Bay, there we go again. So last year, out of the NFC teams, and there's one number one overall pick that was traded to a team, and there was another number one overall pick mm -hmm. in Arizona that made it. AFC, Vegas and Cincinnati, okay? No and yes as far as non-first round, first round. New England and Buffalo, all right, first round, first round. Pittsburgh and Kansas City, first round, first round, because last year it was Ben Roethlisberger. Yes. So there okay. you have it. All right. All right. But so it's, you know, very often a mixed bag, Johnny, as yep. far as where the quarterbacks come from. Now, look, I don't have to go through every draft. I did, though, personally, since 2008 wow. to go through, you know, what quarterbacks made it, what quarterbacks didn't, right. you know, who the top quarterbacks were taking, how they did. Uh, I'll just give you, you want to go through a little broad stroke of, course of this I stuff? Do. Okay. Yes. In 08, Matt Ryan, top quarterback taken, number three overall. Great career. Flacco was mm. taken by the yep. Ravens 18th with a pick they acquired from the Texans That's and the correct. Dwayne Brown deal. Dwayne Brown taken later that round. But Flacco, nice career. Still in the league, really. Uh, yeah. Nice career, no doubt about it. Once upon a time, Super Bowl winner. Matt Ryan is not. And then you go down the list and mixed bag. Chad Henney just retired. Career backup. Started some games. We all know that. Josh Johnson. Josh yeah. Johnson was taken in that draft. 2008. 2008. All right, here's your trivia question. Who was his head coach in college? Uh, that was Jim Harbaugh. He went to the University of San Diego. Not San Diego State. San Diego, the Division II school, the Torreros. 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 Something like Torreros. You could have said anything and people would have believed you. They don't know the nickname of San Diego. I mean, I know it. I just can't pronounce it, which is probably something I should do because I work in the announcing business, but I I'm going to work on this during the break, actually. Yeah. All right. So the 09 draft, Matthew Stafford goes number one overall. That's, Sanchez, yes. the next quarterback taken in the first round uh, out of USC, of course, goes to the Jets back to back. Pretty good years, but the team was really good. And they yeah. went to back to back AFC championship games. Uh, Josh Freeman, Tampa Bay, mm -hmm. the only other third rounder. In that draft, the rest of the way, who do we have that's any good? Uh, I'm looking. I'm 2009. Looking. Yeah. How about this? You want to want to know a fun fact from the 09 draft quarterback wise? Julian Edelman was picked as a quarterback because that's how he came out as a quarterback from Kent State. That pick in the seventh round was acquired from the Patriots or by the Patriots from Miami. So you get oh. Welker. From Miami right. in a trade, you get Edelman yeah. with a pick that you got from Miami. Hey, Dolphins, don't do any dealing with the Patriots. Yeah, what are you Even doing if it's Miami in the seventh for? round? What are you you're, doing? You're crazy. Back to back career Hall of Fame caliber receivers. Welker's not going to make the Hall of Fame, but Hall of Fame it's caliber. Yeah, no, he deserves his own kind of Hall of Fame. The Welker Hall of Fame. <laughs> the Welker Hall the of Welker, Fame. The Welker, the Danny Amendola Welker, Julian Edelman type Hall of Fame. I don't know. 
Does Edelman make the Hall of Fame? No. No. Edelman had some tremendous big games. I don't think there's any question in that. Obviously, he was a Super Bowl MVP. He made arguably the greatest catch in the Super Bowl uh, without using his helmet, uh, which is the one that he made here, like 100 yards away from where we are right now. Um, and he's played he played tremendous in, in certain – I just can't – I can't see it. I can't see it. I mean, if the, the big game performances, yeah, those matter. Those really matter. But I don't think – over the course of time, even as tough as he was, and it's hard, and, and this, and it's hard for me to say this because I loved Edelman. I'll never forget we when we went up there in sixteen. Oh God, that Thursday night game at sixteen. They are just raking us over the coals and making us like it. Well, the defense in that game sort of once they got rocked in the second quarter, they kind of settled down from that point. But we're down. I think I don't know. It was twenty to nothing. I think. Edelman is 30 yards downfield, pancaking one of our defensive backs. I can't remember who it was. Pancaking? Pan- I mean, literally blocking him and knocking him on the turf as, I think it was LeGarrette Blunt. Was it Le- I think it was LeGarrette. Ran down the sideline for a long touchdown, like a 50-yard touchdown. And Edelman is just, boom, just taking somebody to the turf. And then he's getting over him, and he's just flexing. I'm like, they're up 20 to nothing. He could have just mailed in a stock block and just, that's it. He pancaked RDB, and I was like, "That's that's kind of badass, right there." I gotta yeah. admit, and he that that's just that's the way he played. And whenever we played him, we couldn't stop him. We yeah, couldn't stop yeah, him until no. the last game that we faced him was 2019, and we yeah. beat him. Yeah, that was the only game Bradley that we were Rob- able to stop him. Bradley Roby, nice little pick mm-hmm. there. Yep, early on, relatively. Yep. That Very was much good. so. That was good. Uh, I don't want to go through all the drafts, but. You look at how many guys, and this scares you about quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. How many players don't make it yeah. versus how many do make it? And you look at Sam Bradford in 2010, who had all the talent in the world, had some moments, especially against this team, but ultimately you can't say he made it. No. And he was the last of the fully guaranteed pre-new collective right, bargaining right, agreement right. in 2011. He had a huge deal and got traded to the Vikings eventually, beat the Texans in 2016 as a Viking. Ouch. Uh, but 2011, yeah. then you look at Cam Newton, well worth it. But Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder, ouch, yeah. ouch, ouch. Didn't have the careers they wanted. Ponder, actually a playoff quarterback once upon a time. Andy Dalton, who was tweeting this weekend about Andy Dalton doing a tape breakdown about how Andy Dalton, if he's an average quarterback, how good you have to be. It was a good point. Gosh, I want to get the guy's name right. How good you have to be to just be average. Yeah. And how many throws the, quote, average quarterback can make in this league. And we take it for granted because Dalton's had a lot of playoff appearances, mm-hmm. but obviously has not been everything in the world, the all-world kind of guy. No. Uh, I mean, player. He's a great guy, whatever. He just hasn't panned out the way you'd hope based on the playoff appearances yeah. in Cincinnati. Kaepernick went in that 2011 draft. And went to a Super Bowl with the San Francisco 49ers. Who else? Oh, yeah, our buddy T.J. Yates and Ryan Mallett Mm -hmm. and all these kinds of guys. Tyrod Taylor went in that draft. (sighs) Again, they can come from anywhere. Johnny, I'm going to fast forward here because we'll run out of segment before we get to all of this. Sure. But let's go right to the class of 2022. I'm sorry, 2021. That draft class with your guy, Trevor Lawrence, you and Andre, Mm -hmm. generational talent. He's starting to play like it. I still say he's good for that key pick when you need it, but we can get to that later. Texans 3-1 and all-time against Trevor Lawrence. Did I mention Mm -hmm. that? Yes. Mm -hmm. Without our best stuff. Hey, there's that. There is that. 
Wow. But look, at the top of this draft, you have Trevor Lawrence. Then you have Zach Wilson. Wilson's really good. Not so much. Don't know what's going to happen with him here on out. Trey Lance, really good. Number three pick in the draft. Is he, I don't know, gets hurt a lot. Will he ever materialize to be the player they want him to be? Justin Fields, he's awesome out of Ohio State. Well, we know he's a great runner. He does make some throws. He took a big leap forward this year. Does he take another leap forward? Hey, there's a lot of media conjecture about maybe you should trade Justin Fields and take a quarterback with the number one overall pick because, hey, Bryce Young is sitting right there. And then our buddy Mac Jones followed. By, well, these are the first round guys. I'll mm -hmm. leave Trask out of it for now. Mac Jones, the only other first-round quarterback taken, has actually done some things, but not enough in New England. However, he's the guy moving forward, at least in the relatively short-term period here. So, very hit or miss, right? Yeah. You want to go to 2020? All right, go to 2020. Number one overall? Joe Burrow. Yeah, that worked out pretty well. Number five Worked, overall? Working out well so far. Number five overall? Justin Herbert. No. Oh, Tua Tunga Oh, yeah, Tua. Sorry. Number six overall. Herbert. Justin Herbert. Yeah. Now, jury's still out a little bit on Tua just because, you know, the health factor and concussions. Yeah. But when health when healthy. He's looked really good. And with Mike McDaniel, yeah. he's looked extremely. I mean, we always say, ah, oh, they're not all going to pan out. Are they? When you look at 2020. Mm, 2020, look, they look really good. Because they look I'll really good. Jordan Love was taken. We don't know who what he is yet. We have we, no idea. We really don't no know. No idea. I think we're going to find out. Maybe we'll find out very soon yeah. this year. Then Jalen Hurts. Mm. Wow. Wow. Second round, 53rd overall. This class panning out very nicely. Yes. With the exception of the health issues of Tua and the lack of opportunity for love. That's not bad. Let's see where it goes from here. Yeah, and this is what you're hoping this year's class is, except whoever the Colts pick. Yeah. That's what we're hoping this year's class is. Right. In some sense, we hope that the Colts draft Jordan Love, who doesn't get on the field for three years, and then we don't know. I do think that when Jordan Love's given an opportunity, I've thought this for a while, that Jordan Love was going to make make a ton out of that opportunity. I think that Jordan Love will look back sort of like Aaron Rodgers and say, you know what, it wasn't great to sit there. You're a competitor. You don't want to sit there. And you get a couple of you get a couple of starts in week 18 or whatever the case might be or when Aaron's been hurt. But you haven't had a chance to do a whole heck of a lot. I think when Jordan Love gets on the field, I think people are going to be like, yeah, oh, yeah, all right, I see what he's got. My point with that with 2020 is if you look at 2021, there have been some, there have been some hits, there have been some misses. 2022, there's only one quarterback. And Kenny Pickett, yeah, there were times it looked pretty good. I think we're getting to a point now where, where teams, I don't know, I think teams do the quarterback thing differently than they did in the in the past and I I kind of noticed that a little bit with with us here in 17 when we had when we had Deshaun Watson you know Bill had an offense that obviously that he'd been running forever but I'll never forget him saying to me after the Cincinnati game as a rookie in the fourth quarter I'm like yeah coach you know your fourth quarter offense really got going he's yeah you know we you know threw in some plays that you know, from Clemson that made Deshaun more comfortable. I think coaches are understanding that if we want to get the most out of this guy, we've got to be able to. And I think Zach Wilson is a test case for this. I think he went to he went to New York and they force fed him a lot. And in doing and giving him a lot, you're breaking mics over there. Wow. Very nice. I am. <laughs> just just out of nowhere. But I, I think that coaches and 
I'm not saying that they're kowtowing to every young talent and doing exactly what every young talent wants or needs, but I think they're doing a better job of understanding if we're going to draft this guy, we got to have these certain things in place to make him a better quarterback going forward. And it doesn't always happen, but I feel like because there is such an emphasis on that position and because there is such pressure when you draft a player at that position that you better have it right, whether it's quarterback coach, offensive coordinator, overall scheme, the environment that they're walking into, the offensive skill players they're throwing the ball to. And you just think about Mahomes. Look, Alex Smith was doing fine with Kelsey and with Tyreek. And then everything was in place, so then they plopped Mahomes in. Yeah, he still had hiccups, but everything was there around him. Andy Reid, great play caller. Biennemi was there. Nagy was there. Um, Doug Peterson was not quite there yet. No, he was no. He was already gone. All the offensive pieces that you wanted were all right there. They plopped them in. It's kind of a fail-safe, you know? So you look at other situations, and, and it's not always that way because a lot of teams drafting those quarterbacks are drafting because they stunk. The Jets put those pieces around Wilson, but there was so much on his shoulders, and he just could never, he could never get out of his own head. He's one situation. You know, but 2018, what happened with Darnold? What happened with Sam Darnold when the Jets drafted him in 2018? He looked we good saw for him a while. in 2018. He looked good we for saw a while. him up there. We saw him like, man, he's giving us a hard time. And then for some reason, just away he, it went. He still shows you flashes, too. Absolutely. Toward the, when he got back in there this year, right? he looked Absolutely. pretty good for a while. So then in that draft, I think 2018 is a really – 2018 to me is kind of the year you look at and go, I don't say normal, but you had Baker going number one overall, and he had – success early and then when he hit a valley he he got in his own way then you had Sam Darnold then you had Josh Allen then at the very end you had Lamar Jackson so you're all over the map with yes. all these different styles of quarterbacks but the teams that really figured it out and got it right like Baltimore crafted an offense around Lamar Josh Allen and the Bills, even though I've said, and I think because Josh's passing acumen has improved, I don't think they need to run him as, as much. But Buffalo took that offense. Brian Dable took it, kind of crafted it around what Josh could do, and then they added a bunch of pieces. But Josh Allen didn't go to another level till 2020 when what? They traded for Stephon Diggs, putting pieces around that particular player and quarterback. I think that's that, to me, is, is going to end up being the key. Whoever's going to play he, quarterback here whoever it's going to be, pieces around him have got to improve. The offensive scheme's got to improve. The offensive execution's got to improve. And just the overall plan of how they go about things offensively has got to improve to help that quarterback and vice versa. The quarterback help all of that maneuver in the right direction. Well, he's got to get better. Like we always say, he's got to get better. Right. Uh, the thing about Tua, you tell me, the 2020 draft, during the 2019 NFL season, what was the battle cry among the fans in Miami? Tank for Tua. Tank for right? Tua. Yep. Tank for Tua. Got a tank. tank Got to get Tua. Tua. He's the number one guy. There's no question about this. At what point does Joe Burrow overtake Tua as the consensus, outside looking in anyway, number one prospect in that draft? Did it happen right after the championship, before the championship? You know what happened for me? When? And I don't mean this because it was against Tua. It had nothing to do with that. But it was when Joe Burrow, all all these games he had played, he was just lighting everybody up. It's like, let's see him do it against Bama. 
Let's see him do it against Alabama. And then he did it. And if he does it against Alabama, I'll start believing. And then not only did he do it against Alabama, he was he, he was unstoppable against Alabama. And he did it with key runs. He was unbelievable against Alabama. That's when I was like, mm. and it had nothing to do with Tua. Tua had a great game that game, too. Had nothing to do with what Tua was doing or not doing. It was Joe Burrow that day beating the one defense that everybody felt like, okay, can he do that? Can he beat that defense? There's no way. It's not happening. Because the year before, in Baton Rouge, that defense ate him alive. And all of a sudden, he goes to Tuscaloosa in 19, and he shredded them. Shredded them. And I thought, okay, this is, wow. This, this, is, this is different. This is different. And then, after that game, he just went another level every single week until he was, you know, finishing it against Clemson in the national championship game. All right, we will continue this conversation from now until the end of time. Actually, until the Texans solidify their quarterback situation. I hope that's sooner than the end of time. It will be. We have free agency coming up, the draft coming up, combine next week. Next up, who's better? We will feature all-star games. I wonder how that came up. Other leagues. I wonder how that came up. Other coaches and draft prospects. Why not? It's next. It's Texans Radio. Great to have you listening this evening. Texans All Access. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. And we are ready to play Who's Better? We usually do this on Thursdays, but we're kind of mixing things up in the offseason. Let's do this. Johnny, you ready to play? Of course. Of course. Absolutely. Jeez. Who's better? The XFL or the new USFL going into its second season? This is the third installment of the XFL, which Mm. just relaunched this weekend. Which one is better, Johnny? I'm going to give the XFL the edge for one reason, and one reason only, is, and it's crazy. I, I get why the USFL has done it this way, but I like the fact that the XFL plays in the cities in which they claim to be. You think? USFL did everything in, in Birmingham, which I understand was to keep expenses down. I, I understand that. But they got to, in some ways, find... A connection to the city they're in. They're not just, well, we're the Houston Gamblers, but we play every game in Birmingham. Uh, okay. Nobody, nobody in Houston even understands what's going on. They, right. they have right. no clue. And but people they, in Houston have a connection now to the Roughnecks. So I yeah, mean, there's a little one there because, because it's at least here. Yeah, exactly. And if the Gamblers were here, there might be. Who knows? Right. There was back in the day when the USFL existed in the eighties. Oh, love those games. Yeah, Jim Kelly oh, and company. I loved them. I mean, those oh, guys, man. those guys were gunslingers. Oh wait, that was another USFL team based in San Antonio. <laughs> but those guys threw the ball an awful lot. They were fun to watch. They ran that run and shoot stuff and it was good our buddy tony fitzpatrick we had him on during training camp he was mm-hmm. visiting camp and we had him on the air talking about those days i'm with you there's no question that playing in front of fans is a better way to go this just in i do love those old usfl unis yes. i do and they've yes. modernized them but look i full disclosure here i have a boston breakers shirt they're not called the boston breakers anymore they're the new orleans new orleans breakers because that was the second city in which the Breakers were located. But I remember watching them in Boston out of my dorm room window. So I love the Breakers back in the day, and I still have a Breakers shirt. Yep. I reordered it a reissue year. That's ago. the only difference I would say. I Yeah. All the USFL teams, I mean, I think back to those are fun games to watch. The, the USFL did a, what a maverick league, if you want to call it that, are they – that league did what it was supposed to do. It went out and it fought for players at the NFL. And it won. In the it 80s. It won. Steve yeah. Young. Yeah. They got Steve Young. They had Reggie White. 
yeah. with the Memphis Showboats. I mean, Kelly. They went out. Yeah, Jim Kelly. Herschel. Uh, Jim Kelly. There's a famous line in the in the 30 for 30 about the Bills, where he's being interviewed here in Houston, and he's asked about why, why Buffalo over Houston. He's like, it's Houston over Buffalo. Like we're outside today. It's yeah. you know whatever degrees it is in Houston yeah. versus what it is in Buffalo. I mean, it's not. And he said it's not very hard to see. Well, of course, then he ends up in Buffalo. Yeah, and then beats. Oilers, yeah. Well, not, that was yeah. Frank Reich, though. Yeah. So there was yeah, that. Exactly. But the point being, I used to love those USFL teams. I just think the XFL has, because it's playing right now here in Houston, it's probably got a better bit, a better connection to the city itself. And I would like to see that for the USFL. If that happens for the USFL, I'll probably say the USFL. Yeah, maybe. With those uniforms and everything yeah. and the league support right. they get from the networks. But look, it all shows you that there's nothing like the real thing, baby. And that would be the <laughs> NFL. All right, who's better? Let's continue. What's better, the Pro Bowl games as it is now or the way the Pro Bowl most recently was, which was basically a patty cake thud game in pads? Would you rather have it the way it was in previous years? I'm not talking about like in the 80s and early 90s when people still really hit in the Pro Bowl. I'm talking about the recent Pro Bowls, an actual NFL sort of game, or this version with the touch football? In other words, did they improve on it or not? I think the the Pro Bowl games were intriguing. The game itself, the last few years, I didn't care. I didn't watch it. Hmm. I have not watched an all-star contest of any kind in I don't know how long. I have not watched. I didn't watch the baseball star game. If I did, that would be the one I would watch because they mic up players out in the outfield. They mic them up at short. They mic up pitchers. I like hearing that stuff. Hear what they're thinking, talking uh, with John Smoltz or whomever that might be. I'll watch that. I haven't watched the the Pro Bowl, and I haven't watched the NBA All-Star game for years. Either one. But the Pro Bowl games, I at least watched some of it. I was curious to see what they had going on. I was intrigued by it. And then the flag football game was cool. They had different things going on during the game. I liked that. I thought that was cool. I liked the Pro Bowl games. So they improved on it. Yes. Good stuff. All right. Who's better? Better results in a hire. Carolina with Frank Reich or Denver with Sean Payton? Who's going to do better, Johnny? Frank Reich in Carolina, Sean Payton in Denver. This comes down to one question, and we all know what it is. What Russell Wilson will show up? Mm. If Russell Wilson is the Russell Wilson we saw for the majority of his career, Sean Payton all day, every day. Now, what comes first, chicken or the egg? Does Sean Payton make Russell Wilson that guy? Would Frank Reich have made Russell Wilson that guy? I don't know. I just know that last year wasn't it. Here's the thing that worries me if I'm a Broncos fan. 2021, if you watch closely enough, that wasn't it either. And for the most part, neither was 2020. Now, it was a COVID year, so, you know, okay. But really, the last three years for Russell Wilson, you go, mm, man, I'm not all the way there on this. So they were cray-cray. So I don't do know it. that the – I mean, the, the biggest – trading for Russell Wilson I had no issue with, the Broncos. I thought it was a good move, like okay, to, to a degree. Giving him the contract okay. was idiotic. Yeah, but the the, the trade, contract was idiotic. The trade capital was still The trade capital was pretty rich. Uh, that, that was a bit much. That all said, um, I'll go with Peyton. I think he's I, he's won a Super Bowl. He's been around, obviously, longer as a head coach. I have always liked Frank Reich. Always. And I hate saying that because he has, obviously, that famous one over the others. But I never held it against him. I always felt like he was a, a true professional. I feel like the way he went about his business, I felt like he was he was handed um, 
kind of a crazy deck when he went to Indianapolis, especially this last year. But unfortunately, what happened to him, hey, I can make Carson Wentz work. And then when Carson Wentz didn't work, and it wasn't so much that Carson Wentz on the field was a failure, but him getting COVID or, or he didn't get COVID, but the last couple of weeks he was a close contact to someone COVID and he had to sit out because that was, those are the rules. As the leader of the team, you had to know that could happen. It happened in the most important week. They lose. Then he plays terribly against Jacksonville. That's when the house of cards, unfortunately, fell. Well, fortunately, fortunately, yes. unfortunately, it fell for the cards. Fortunately. So I've always liked Frank. But I'm going to go with Sean Payton on this. I think Payton's going to, I think Payton will pull every ounce of success out of Russell Wilson. And if he doesn't, they're one year further removed. Maybe they can do something with the contract. But Mark, that salary cap hit for Russell Wilson is no joke. Yes. And I no joke. This is another reason. Holy cow. I'm going to favor Frank Reich in this deal because of the division. Because I think even if Denver does well, they they could still be no better than the third best team in that division behind the Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think the Raiders are going to do much, but you never know. Right. And I think Carolina's got wide open virgin forest there in the NFC South if they get it right at quarterback. And Wright doesn't have to be you know, the franchise guy necessarily. Right. Just a Geno Smith-type performance yeah. out of somebody might be enough to win that division for Carolina. Do we know any of the quarterbacks in the NFC South? Yeah, we can guess. But Falcons, right. do we know? No. no. Panthers, no. Saints, no. That's a great point. Bucks, no. We don't know a quarterback in the NFC South. It's a South. mystery quarterback it's division. Unbelievable. I think it's great. It's great fun. Great talk for them yeah. all offseason long. Who Who's going to really lead those teams? wonder who's going to quarterback Kansas City this year. Hmm. Yeah, I think hmm. we know that. All right, who's better? Let's okay. continue. Better career. Now, we'll go draft prospects here. And dare we not talk about a quarterback draft prospect? Let's talk about receivers. Better prospect Ooh. from USC, Jordan Addison, or from TCU, Quentin Johnston? Um, I have Johnston. Did I not say that? Rated. That's what you said. I'm just making sure because I've heard a lot of, a lot of that out there. And I went on a little rant the other day about it. Um, I have Johnston rated higher. And... Here's where I separate. I think Quentin Johnston at 6'4", 217, has elite traits in size, speed that Jordan Addison doesn't have. Now, it doesn't mean Jordan Addison's slow. Jordan Addison is not slow. He is. He can fly. But he's 6'175", and that, that makes a major difference. I think that Jordan Addison is a much more polished receiving threat, but I think Johnston learning the game at the NFL level can be a freakazoid. So I think Quentin Johnston is that he's higher on my Harris 100 than Jordan Addison is not by much. There's like two spots that separate them, but that's, that's the dilemma I have because I feel like Addison's a better overall receiver doing receiver things than Johnston is. But Johnston is such a freaky athlete and can still do the receiver things, just not as well and as polished as Addison. Okay, I got one more quick one for you. Okay. TV viewer help here. What's better? It's a who's better, what's better TV viewing experience on Netflix, Formula One reality series, or the full swing golf reality series? This is tough because the Formula really, One resurrected the sport. The F1 series, Ready to Drive, I think it's called. Formula to Drive, I mean, it's incredible. It got me in, in interested in F1. I've been interested in golf. But I think I've learned more about the golfers. F1, I learned everything about the sport, where they drove, how it worked. 
I'm going to say the F1 show because that, to me, just changed everything. I didn't even care about driving. I didn't really care about NASCAR, but I watched those F1. I wanted to know. I sat and watched the full Monaco race in 22 because I watched all those F1 shows. So I'm going to go F1. Yeah, I like it's tremendous. I, and I haven't finished the golf show yet. I got two or three episodes left. I watched maybe episode one of the F1 series. I need to jump back into that one. Full swing, though. I am right in that. I yep. just started. I'm already on episode four. So I'm not fully binging. I'm not going to miss sleep to binge a show. I've matured beyond that. Unless the show's really good. I've matured <laughs> yeah. beyond that. But, man, that Brooks Kepka episode yeah. tells you everything you need to know about golf. And a guy who was piping hot, hottest golfer in the world, and how he lost his confidence. Mm-hmm. And how you can have everything in the world. You can have all the money. You can have majors. You can have the smoking hot wife, smoking hot house. But if you don't have your act together professionally or in what you really love to do, you might be miserable. Mm-hmm. And this is a great example of that. And I'm curious to see where his career goes. He's with Liv now, which, you know, when you watch this show, you see why he did it. He and how disruptive Liv was to the golf world. That still is crazy to me. It's been unbelievable. Still is. It's weird stuff. All right, Johnny, thank you. And Mark. next up, Phil Harrison, Buckeye Wire, talks with D.P. Sidhu about C.J. Stroud. You've heard of him. All you need to know about that quarterback prospect coming up here on Texans Radio. All right, final segment here on the show tonight. Let's get into quarterback prospects. This one, C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. And D.P. Sidhu catches up with Phil Harrison of Buckeye Wire to talk about what Stroud brings to the table, part of a series D.P. is doing with reporters who cover these guys coming out of college. Phil, I feel like last year we were talking wide receivers, and this year we're going to talk quarterback with C.J. Stroud. What are your thoughts about him and this Whole quarterback debate, CJ versus Bryce Young. I know people in Houston love talking about it, but give us your best pitch for CJ Stroud being the number one quarterback. Sure. You know, um, best pitch, you know, obviously coming from the Ohio State side of things, but seeing CJ Stroud a lot more than, than Bryce Young, I'm not taking anything away from Bryce Young because clearly I think you could, um, you can, you're not going to go wrong either way there. Uh, what CJ has that Bryce probably doesn't have is, you know, you always worry about uh, the height factor, right? The height factor has been talked about with Bryce Young a lot. C.J. Stroud has the measurables. He's, he's kind of long. He's got, um, he's six foot three, can see over defenses. So he kind of has that, the prototypical historical quarterback body, right? Um, so there's that. Now, we've seen in the past here recently that, that there's been plenty of quarterbacks overcome that height thing. You know, Kyler Murray uh, comes to mind. Um, you know, there's just guys that have shown that's not really as big a deal as maybe some some people thought. But but scouts and executives are going to look at that. They're going to look at the height. They're going to look at everything. And then the other thing I would say that sets CJ apart from Bryce Young is his accuracy. He's highly accurate, not only in the mid, you know, all three levels of the field. He can make all the throws. His deep ball is really, really good. And uh, he completed 70% of his passes two years ago. I know that went down a little bit this year, but he did have the one game where there was basically a gale force winds at Northwestern that kind of brought that uh, percentage down. So very, very accurate passer. And I'll also say, um, if you're looking for a guy to be the face of a franchise, um, CJ Stroud in all my years of covering Ohio state and being a fan and all that is probably the, the most humble and down to earth person that uh, we have ever seen in the quarterback position. And that's coming, you know, Justin Fields was good in that area too. Uh, but CJ Stroud has always deflects praise to his teammates He's very, very, very grounded in his faith and is just a really good human being. 
So if you, you, you don't want to worry about off the field issues or a guy being a cancer in a locker room, CJ Stroud, you're going to have no problem with that at all. Well, he has been certainly a lot of fun to watch, but a lot of people talk about the NFL caliber weapons that he has to throw to mm-hmm. as well, which oddly enough, sometimes is a negative that, you know, he's got all these weapons that he can throw to, but how much of the success of the wide receivers really lands on Stroud's shoulders, just in being able to put them in a position to make those sort of plays. Yeah. And that's one thing I think CJ does really well. And yeah, there, I mean, that is a talking point, right? Bryce Young also had uh, good weapons around him. Now Ohio state's wide receiver core over the last few years have been ridiculous. I mean, they've been really good. You had two first rounders go last year and you probably have another one this year, but yeah, I mean, that goes into it, but CJ does a really good job with his accuracy. He trusts his receivers. And if you go back and watch game film, he always puts it, you know, in a spot where his, his guy can go make a play. So sometimes he'll do a back shoulder. Sometimes he puts it, you know, he leads them into um, areas that open windows. And so I think he does a really good job with it. Clearly his receivers that he's had has helped a little bit, but you can see his ability to read defenses and put the ball where his playmakers can go get it. So I think, you know, if you're looking for a guy at the NFL level, those windows are probably gonna be a little bit tighter, but he does a really good job of plugging the ball where his guy can make a play. Some critics say that Stroud is maybe not as effective when facing pressure since he's a pure pocket passer. Where does he fit into a league that is really trending towards more mobile quarterbacks? Yeah, it's, I think it's a bit of a concern. I mean, we have seen, you know, times I have seen him stand in the pocket and make throws plenty of occasions. But, you know, with any quarterback, I think your, your rate of completion is going to go down a little bit. It's a risk reward thing, right? That's probably an area, though, that he probably could grow a little bit. You know, the other thing that is talking about that a little bit with pressure coming, I think one of the things that he's not done enough of, and Ohio State fans will nod their head if they hear this, is when the pressure comes, he's pretty hesitant to take off and, and take what the defense gives him with his legs. So I think he, that's probably his biggest area of growth. We saw him do that against Georgia, and all of a sudden, you know, Ohio State's moving the ball a lot more because he did take off with his, and use his, his legs a little bit more, and you kind of need that in today's game. So his ability to understand where pressure comes from is pretty good. But yeah, there's a little bit of growth there, I think, with his ability to get the ball out um, a little bit quicker where it needs to go and then to be able to, to give what the defense gives him when it breaks down and get out of the pocket and start making some, some plays with the legs. All right, you talked about his personality a little bit, but are there any particular moments or stories about C.J. Stroud that you could share that have really stood out to you over just your time covering him? <laughs> I, I will point to... Um, it's just funny how he comes to the defense of, of his players and his coaches because he's just that type of guy. Ohio State lost to Michigan for two years in a row. And so the press conference afterwards was, was not, a, you know, a very a pleasant one for him or his head coach. They were where to, there together. And, of course, they got peppered by the media because Ohio State's not used to losing to Michigan. It's been two years in a row. And um, they're asking CJ sitting off to the side. You're not even being he's not even being asked a question. It's Ryan Day that's being asked the question. And they asked him about some of the play calls. And all of a sudden you hear, you hear CJ chime and say, oh, it was a great play call. It was a really good play call. I stand by it all the time. You know, it's like <laughs> he, just, he just has that mentality where he, he enjoys competition. He enjoys being around the, the guys that he plays with. And he's going to defend uh, in a good way. But he, he just has the back of all of his players and his coaches. And it's, it's refreshing. There's Phil Harrison with D.P. Sidhu in our series covering quarterbacks and the beat writers that covered them in college. Much more on that on HoustonTexans.com and the Texans app. Tomorrow, another show, Draft Wednesday. We'll talk about it. John McClain on Thursday. And we've got some great shows coming up in the Combine next week as well. Have a great night, everyone. Go Texans.